Hello and welcome to the 10th episode of Travelosophy, a podcast about life lessons learnt from travel. I'm your host, Jade Jackson, and in today's episode, I'll be chatting to Linda Moon, who is a travel and lifestyle freelance writer. She tells you just how you can quit your job to be a travel writer, and she also has some valuable words of wisdom, which I wished I had heard upon leaving school. Also, if you haven't yet listened to my second show, check out Jade Talk Stuff, which is a fascinating and fun educational podcast about anything and everything. And now on with my 10th podcast episode. Woohoo! So today I'm chatting to Linda. Linda, thank you so much for coming on Travelosophy. Hi, Jade. So what was your first overseas travel experience and how did that shape your future travel? Well, the first time I went overseas, I was about 25 and I went to New Zealand, South Island. Now that didn't have so much impact because the culture is very similar to Australia, as you know. So it was actually my second overseas trip that had the biggest impact on me and shaped future travel. So that trip was um, taken to Vanuatu and... Yeah, and I went with my husband. Basically, he was a musician in a cover band at the time and the band had been um, hired to perform at a restaurant there for a whole week. Oh, wow. So I went along. Yeah, so how that shaped future travel for me was that I became aware, I guess, of a couple of things about the world which I didn't know. Vanuatu is quite different as well. Yeah, it is. It's not like Australia at all. Yeah. (laughs) So, one of the things was becoming aware of our own impact as tourists on the places that we go. Yeah. So, like, my dream was had always been to see a seahorse in real life, which to me always seemed like a fairy or a magical creature. And so, in search of these seahorses, I went snorkeling in this really shallow, muddy water that I'd read, you know, was a place where you could potentially see them. And it was only about thigh deep. Yeah, and in there I saw a couple of seahorses and I was told by the local people that they weren't really around much anymore and that was quite a rare thing to see so I felt very lucky and at the time because I was very curious I touched the seahorse and tried to hold it between my hands but later on in life I realized or I learned that Doing so could transfer bacteria to the seahorse and potentially kill them. It's not something you should do. Yeah. So through that experience, I learned that, you know, we have to be very careful when we travel that we can have a negative impact on the places that we go. Also, the beautiful things that I saw there made me aware that just how precious the environment and the creatures are. So if you think about what is the what is our planet, it's a place where evolution has happened and it's produced all these beautiful life forms and without them our planet isn't really anything but at the moment we're in a sixth wave of extinction in which lots of animals are going extinct in a short space of time yeah i also encountered animal cruelty in the tourism industry there which has shaped my future travels as well so i went to an animal park as you do and i saw a turtle that was confined in a tiny amount of water as well as in the restaurant that I had to listen to, you know, my husband playing, performing, my husband at the time, I should say, performing regularly each night and there were coconut crabs tied up everywhere, 
ready to be boiled alive for mm. the tourists to eat. So I became aware of wildlife cruelty in the tourism industry. So these are kind of thoughts that have stayed with me each time I travel. So I think it's about, you know, in future travels in, in that I had after, thinking about my impact as a, as a tourist and, you know, getting to know and question the practices that were behind the industry, you know, like were they green? Did they have good animal, you know, philosophies and treatment of animals? The other thing that shaped me in that experience was the experience of seeing the happy faces of the local people, the way that they could smile at all the tourists despite, you know, their poverty. And that really put a question in my mind about is there a better way of living than the way we do in the Western world that could produce better happiness for us as, as a society? And that's the question that I've continued to sort of look at each time I travel, you know, like to observe the societies and cultures. I think that's quite a lot from an early travel experience, but a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people travel and it takes years for them to kind of pick up those lessons yeah I guess it for me it was like a growing awareness so yeah yeah I know what you're saying potentially that's true and I think it depends how sensitive you are and you know how much of an observer you are how if that makes sense yeah I actually um just published an article on medium uh, largely about how I can't understand how things work overseas in different countries and we don't use that here like recycling and in certain countries they're much better at protecting the environment and I just the idea of everyone's doing their own little thing just doesn't make sense yeah that's so true there's definitely a lack of unity yeah and we can all learn from each other that's something that you know you learn from traveling yeah interesting has there been a destination you've been to that you could see yourself living there and what made it so appealing? Yeah, well, definitely there has been, if not multiple destinations. It's kind of um, the one that, yeah, so true. As you know, as you know, we all never want to come home. Yeah. I guess my totally up there favourite was Tahiti, and the islands surrounding it. Yeah. So my father actually comes from Tahiti. He was born there oh, in really? Papiti. Yeah, he's passed away now. But all the cliches about Tahiti are true. So what I guess some of the things that made me want to live there, fall in love with the place, with the weather, it sits around 26 degrees most of the year, so it's just a perfect climate. There's no dangerous animals or insects except for the stonefish. And as you arrive, the air literally smells of beautiful flowers and everywhere you walk, it's, there's flowers everywhere in people's hair. I mean, what's not to love about <laughs> a culture, you know, that, you know, where the men are wearing flowers. Yeah. So the sunsets, the lagoons. I'm not actually much of a beach person because a long time ago I almost drowned off around Clovelly area. I mean, having said that, I'd still do snorkel like crazy, but I really liked the lagoons because they were very safe and gentle and as well as beautiful colours. I feel that if heaven was a place on earth, it would be totally Tahiti. And it's also one of the safest places in the world in terms of crime rates. That whole kind of area is um, very low in crime if you look up international crime statistics. Other than that, I would also name Shirakawago, which is a tiny World Heritage listed town in the mountains of Japan. 
it's a bit like stepping back in time. The whole village is full of these A-frame wooden farmhouses and there's no fences between the properties. So there's this real feeling, I think, because of the sameness of the houses, this sense of equality and yeah. community, um, but it's also incredibly peaceful. There's a lack of modern technology there generally and people ride about on bicycles to get around. Yes. Um, and they will have their own veggie patch and flowers. And oh, cool. Yeah, I always had a feeling like I could totally retire there. I think that's probably enough places to name I could go on. And how did you break into freelance travel writing? I basically started blogging about my travels through a website called Weekend Notes. So after I'd started travelling a lot more, Naturally, I wanted to, you know, share the experiences and write about them. So I started there and I guess potentially to my surprise, I started doing quite well on the site and I rose to be the top writer in New South Wales and actually still are at the moment. And despite the fact I don't write really much for them anymore. And then what happened was a friend was over at my house and she happened to read one of my stories that I've been working on that was on the laptop and and she really got into it and she made a comment to me that, you know, wow, this is like a, a magazine article. And so from that comment, for the first time, I started thinking, well, if she, you know, maybe I should write for magazines and get paid a bit more than what yeah. I'm getting here. So I started researching that idea and then I so I signed up for an online course and in travel writing and it kind of went from there. Awesome. And where has travel writing taken you? Well, apart from my first early travels with that I mentioned earlier, yeah. I didn't start doing much of my travel writing until a, quite later in life when I met my current husband who was also like someone who was like, you would say, do you want to do this? And he would always say yes. So he yeah. was always up, he was up for stuff. He was up yeah. for adventures. So that's when my traveling really took off. After meeting him, I went to India Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Japan, went back to Vanuatu another second time, New Caledonia, Lifu, and as mentioned earlier, Tahiti and the island of Moria. I've been to New Zealand a few times. I went to Switzerland and yes. locally I've had, you know, some really good travel experiences in the outback, the Whitsundays, the central west of New South Wales, which is I feel is a kind of understated area, but it's really interesting. Yeah, Cairns, I love it out there. Tasmania, you too, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, so some of the more interesting experiences I've had are things like um, sleeping in a swag overnight in the outback. Oh, fantastic. Um, you know, meeting the monkeys, the wild monkeys in the Kamakochi area of Japan. Awesome. So if someone wanted to get into travel writing, what's the most important thing they need to know? Well, it's probably the, the biggest question that people ask me is how can I get into travel writing? So I've had lots of time to think about it and answered that question many times. So my tip would be, number one, to do a travel writing course taught by someone who has a lot of experience in the industry. One of the first stories I ever had published was for Voyeur magazine, which yeah. is a Virgin Airlines oh, in-flight wow. magazine. Yeah. And that was about the area in, of Kamakochi in Japan, which is in the mountains. And the reason that they said they were interested in the story was because they'd never run that location before. Wow. So, yeah. And just as an example on the second point of pitching story angles that are different. So, for example, if you try and pitch stories about 
say you went to the Wit Sundays or something yeah. about you know snorkeling, swimming, that kind of thing. Yeah. Sailing the Sundays or yeah, resorts. Getting a massage find, in Bali. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, although you know, it may potentially could be harder because. The, the market might be quite is quite full for those stories. It's been yeah. covered a lot. So you've got a better chance if you were a new writer to come up with sort of unusual angles that haven't been done to death. So, for example, when I went to Moria, I did try pitching, you know, the standard overwater bungalows and resorts and snorkeling stories, but I didn't really get anywhere. And then I pitched, you know, after I'd actually visited, I pitched a story on the Biocode project which is um, a scientific project that was undertaken in Maria where they've created a genetic database of every flora and fauna that's on the island. Oh, wow. And and that, you know, and because, you know, that's less known about, that story was published in Wellbeing magazine. My other thing that I think is really important that I always suggest to people is to realise that it's the writing is not just about writing, it's about people. So having joining up with things where you can make contacts in the industry and connect with industry figures, but as well as your peers who are part of your learning process and, you know, keeping you going in a way through, I guess, peer support is really important as well. The other thing is anything in the creative attitude is like 50% of what makes you succeed. So things like your passion and your determination is really important as well. And if you're a travel writer, it's a good idea to hone up on your photography skills because increasingly editors tend to favour writers who can also supply photography inclusive of the story. So I guess a lot of people tend to think, you know, travel writing is about fabulous overseas destinations, but a good way that you can start if you is to just write about your own town and areas that are close to you. For example, like I live in Katoomba in the Blue Mountains, which is a tourist town, and I've written lots of stories about my town and about the areas around it. So that's another thing that you can do to get started. My final tip would be if you are working on a story, just try and avoid a common trap of writing a story that tends to be me-centred and don't talk about mundane things like getting out of your hotel bed, catching the bus or, you know, how you caught <laughs> diarrhea or something like that. So your readers want to know about the sites and what you've seen rather than your own personal kind of inward thing. And then also build the senses into it, like the sounds and the smells yeah. as well as sights. And think of your writing as a bit like writing a novel where you're drawing the reader into an enchanted world and have some idea of, the, of a plot, you know, and things that are discovered. Awesome. I think you've, I think anyone would be able to uh, take up travel writing after that description. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And are you a souvenir collector? Do you have something you always buy on your travels? To be honest, no, I am not a souvenir collector. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I only ask because like, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I actually hate shopping. Yeah. And, you know, which is probably really bad for the local economies that I visit. And I like to travel light, so I don't really like to collect much. Fair enough. Um, if, if there's anything that I'd like to shop for, it would be 
the local products themselves. So I tend to get quite excited about the local plants that are grown and, and the products, the food that's, yeah. that might be grown in the country. For example, I really enjoyed the range of mushrooms in Switzerland and the flour and coconut oils and in Tahiti and, um, you okay. know, the, the paper lanterns in Asia. Yeah, so, stuff that yeah. you can't easily get back home. Yeah, yeah. And what's been the most bizarre experience that you've encountered on your travels? Yeah, well, it's kind of like, where do you begin with <laughs> that question? <laughs> that could really go on for a long time. Um, I think the nature of traveling itself is bizarre. So, and that's why we love it. That's why we travel, because we want to be surrounding ourselves with everything that seems strange to us. Funny enough, one of the most bizarre travel experiences I've had was in Australia, and it was not far from where I live now, and it was in relation to. <laughs> To food, so at the time I was reviewing pubs for the Good Pub Food Guide, yeah. And one of my briefs was I was had to visit Portland, which is this town inland in New South Wales, kind of just out of Lithgow. Yeah. So when my husband and I arrived at the town, we parked in the main street, and you know there was this typical like one street where all the shops were, and. It was a bit like a scene from a Western because everyone that was on the street kind of just stopped and stared at us getting out of the car <laughs> as if we were like outsiders from out of town, which we were, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, so I went into the hotel where, you know, with this pub where I had to review this food and I ordered a vegetarian pizza being vegetarian. But what happened was when my meal was, you know, delivered to me it was a meat pizza and so I had to explain to them again I'm vegetarian and I asked for a vegetarian pizza so after waiting a really long time for this pizza second pizza to be made um you know 40 minutes or whatever it came out and it was a pizza made of what looked like frozen cauliflower peas carrots and beans (laughs) with cheese all over it and I, I took one bite and I thought it was so repulsive that I was not going to eat it. And my husband's food was also disgusting after one bite. So we just decided to split and we just ran out of there, leaving our food there. <laughs> Another weird aspect of that, it was weird in itself that I was a vegetarian and a non-drinker with a wheat and dairy intolerance doing reviews to the Good Pub Food Guide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That you know, I always brought my husband along so that he could eat all the uh, the normal stuff yeah. and tell me what it was like. I guess like other bizarre experiences I've had would be, I think India itself is quite a bizarre country. It's like this magic place with snake charmers and the Taj Mahal. And in India, I attended an Indian wedding with my with my husband, and Fantastic. that was pretty unusual. You know, there were it was like a Bollywood you know, movie set. There were like yeah. firecrackers going off. It went for about three days. It was all this Deepest. amazing Indian dancing, you know, henna painting and, you know, the bride arriving on an elephant or was it a horse? I can't quite remember. I think it was an elephant. Yeah, so that was pretty bizarre. Another bizarre experience was in Maria, was hearing a tour guide tell me about his experience of treading on a stonefish. Uh, that was bizarre to me because I didn't know that one could actually survive. And um, in Japan, listening to the chimes that were coming off this 
the, the columns in a railway station and the little trains that looked like they were something out of Harry Potter. That was pretty bizarre. But I guess one of the most bizarre things is something that's probably quite mundane and yet bizarre, and that is the experience of being somewhere very beautiful, such as when I was in Switzerland and I was standing on this bridge at the top of a glacier and there was an amazing view of all these mountains and all the tourists that were standing on the bridge were taking selfies and looking into their phones and no one was actually really looking at the scenery except me and I thought that was the most bizarre thing in the world. Happens so often these days. Yeah, it's it's very... I mean, very, especially down at um, the Three Sisters. Yeah. Most people have their back to it because they're trying to get a selfie. Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of odd, isn't it? I remember because when I was in... you can do that in your own country, can't you? Yeah. I remember when I was um, snorkelling with the whale sharks in the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, these are huge, amazing creatures and it's really rare to get so close to them. And yeah. And everyone that was in my group spent the whole time with their back to them trying to get a selfie and not actually yeah. looking at them. It's like, you know, all you have to do is just turn your head slightly and you can actually see them. But they're yeah. more interested in having a photo to show their friends. It says a lot about our society, doesn't it? That I think it's, it's also, also cultural sorry, as well. Yeah, potentially, do you think? Like I know mm-hmm. particularly with the Chinese, they're very big mm-hmm. on showing off what they've, where they've been, what they've done, what they've seen, and obviously selfie is proof of that. Mm, mm. Yes, I, I did notice that as well. Yeah. It's a shame because it's a kind of living in the future in a way and robbing yeah. yourself of the present because you're thinking about, you know, the moment when you're going to show it to someone or they're going to see it. Yeah, rather than uh, just enjoying right now. Yeah, so in a way it's, it's robbing yourself of that experience. And as a Blue Mountains resident, what would you recommend a tourist do that only a local would know about? Well, that's a good question. Um, I find that most tourists to the Blue Mountains do the same, almost the same trip. They all go to Scenic World and they look around a bit in the town. They might do one of the short popular walks around the Three Sisters or something similar, and then they always go off and eat somewhere. I don't feel that that's a true experience of the Blue Mountains. No. So, yeah, so some of the places I'd recommend, I mean – First of all, get off the beaten track a bit, but that doesn't mean like, you know, climbing down into the bush, you know, for the <laughs> day and getting and lost <laughs> or falling off a cliff. Yeah. But, I mean, some places that I'd suggest that you could go and check out that are a bit less known but, you know, amazing. There's a winery, for example, in Megalong Valley that most That's people right. don't know about. There's a fantastic glowworm tour that you do at night time, looking at, you know, one of the few glowworm colonies um, and Is it's that out on the at, other side near Lithgow. No, not that one. So a lot of that glowworm colony has been decimated by tourists. Yeah. Uh, but there's another one where, you know, they're really looking after the welfare of the glowworms and making sure that they're, you know, okay. they stay. Yeah. So what what where people don't realise? Um, trying to think what town that's in. It's. Ooh, where is that one? Because um, I don't think I've done it. I've done the one at Nunes, which is pretty disappointing. 
Yeah, yeah. The one at Nunes is the, the glowworms have been killed off because of yeah. the tourists. So basically what happens, people don't understand, but when you go near them, they turn off their light. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but the light is that the reason they turn it on in the first place is to attract prey to feed. So yeah. each time they turn it off, they keep it off for quite, I think, I was told about 20 minutes or some, something like that. So by tourists like looking at them, it gives them less time to feed and, and can actually kill them over time. Yeah, so this glowworm tour is sort of in the, the Mount Toma area and it's a fairly new, new discovered colony. Yeah, so it was discovered when a tourist that was staying in accommodation nearby was drunk and just went for a drunken ramble and, you know, stumbled upon this magic glowworm colony in the canyon. Yeah, so what's really good about that particular tour is the guide is aware of the conservation issues and makes sure that people don't get up close to the glowworms to the point that they'll turn off their lights. Also recommend going canyoning. Yeah, down in the gullies and you know into the canyons. That's an amazing experience. Obviously, Chenolan Caves. That's a fairly well-known place, but yeah. you know, very magical places like Mount Wilson, which is it's a tiny English-style town in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by bush, and that's quite yeah. an interesting experience. It's one of my favourite places up here. Is it? Yeah, yeah. especially on a yeah. foggy, misty day. It's just it's otherworldly, yeah. and especially in autumn. In yeah, autumn, true. it's a must when the trees all go red there. Another great place that's well, like less well known, is the Japanese bathhouse, Paradise. It's about yeah. maybe um, a 30 minute drive out of Katoomba. It's near Lithgow. And, you know, it's like a an onsen. And another, fa- you know, another good place to go is Secret Creek Cafe if you want to see wildlife. It's a vegan cafe in Lithgow. I think I've heard about it that, but I've a, not been. Yeah, you haven't been out there yet. It has a wildlife sanctuary, which is how it actually started, and then the cafe was sort of built yeah. um, to try and, you know, help fund the wildlife yeah. sanctuary. It's quite an interesting place. The guy who runs the wildlife sanctuary was originally a miner for about 20 years. Okay. So a local person and then, you know, trained up to become, you know, he did something in environmentalism, some training in that. And, yeah, so that's another good place that's a bit less known where you can actually see, you know, you might see a few kangaroos, emus. They've got various animals that you can see from the cafe. Awesome. Dingoes and and other things. So there's a few places. Even I haven't done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I called myself a Blue Mountains local. There you go. And what's next on the travel hit list for you? Well, I haven't actually have no real plan at the moment, willing to see what fate's going to throw at me. I'd possibly like to do a tour experience that incorporates like volunteer work in some yeah. capacity that's, you know, helping the environment or animals or local people. Awesome. So okay. what advice uh-huh. would you give someone who hasn't travelled? First of all, I think, you know, it's important to realise and recognise that not everyone can afford to travel. For example, some of my family members have never been overseas. You know, if you fit into that boat that where you're finding it difficult in terms of money, it's good to realise that there are ways to get out and travel without necessarily being wealthy. So my advice there would be like to look out for specials. You can book ahead travel in the off season potentially try countries that are you know less expensive to visit like bali or vanuatu my other advice would be like once you're out 
there traveling, turn off your phone and, and your tech, you know, and don't be that person that watches every YouTube movie on the destination that you're going to leave some mystery yeah. because, you know, the joy of travel is is the mystery and the, the unexpected and do get off the beaten track to the less visited places. So, you know, if you're going to Japan, for example, don't just spend all your time in Tokyo, if any at all, go straight out and out to the less known places, you know, and build a, a variety of experiences into your trips. So don't just do cities or food only, see wildlife culture, you know, villages, seasonal experiences. So get a bit of a taste of the variety that the country has to offer. I think that's really important because so many people just focus yeah. on what's the main site, right, tick that off, done that country, without actually looking at the variety of things that are on offer. Yeah, and, and, you know, part of that is because if you haven't travelled before, is learning about what you actually like from travel. So if you don't experience it all, well, it's a bit hard to tell. You know, obviously it depends on your budget as well and, and, and time, but you do what you can. The other thing that I've noticed with people when they travel that is a bit of a problem is when they return from travelling. So a lot of people go into this depression when they come back from a trip and my advice around that would be not to use travel as an escape from your day-to-day -day life so are you purposely directing this at me no <laughs> <laughs> i did an entire podcast episode about exactly that did you yeah oh my god okay what a coincidence <laughs> that's so weird yeah i mean I think it's something, an experience we all share. So, yeah. you know, we can feel a bit flat and lost when we return from travel. So my advice around that would be have things to look forward to when you get back, you know, True. like things planned. Don't just leave an empty slate. Even if it's just catching up with all your friends and family. So build meaning into your day-to-day life and address the problems that are in it. So like if you really hate your job, do something about it, change it. On the other side of things, you can use your travel time as a time out to think about your life and work out solutions to any problems. And a lot of people say they get clarity about their life when they're away yeah. from it. So, you know, if they're, you know, that is a problem, it's what you can do. So don't use, my suggestion is not to use travel as an escape, <laughs> but, but to have a life outside it because ultimately there's no escape from reality. And I've been on travel for meals where amongst international journalists where they're actually literally bored because they've done, you know, they do spend all their time traveling. So... You know, we might have this illusion or this idea in our head that if we could just travel endlessly, that we would be eternally happy. But I hate to tell you, but that's probably not actually real. It's just it's a, a nature. Of, yeah, it's a nature of life that we get used to whatever we're doing and we tend to take it for granted. So, you know, we need to have meaning in a different way. Awesome. Such wise words. <laughs> if only I heard them 20 years ago. <laughs> On that yeah. note, Linda, thank you so much for joining Travelosophy. Thank you, Jade. Right, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. If you want more episodes, and I highly recommend you listen to all of them if you haven't already, especially episode one, because it explains a lot about how I developed my fascination and dedication to travel. You can find all past podcast episodes on my website, 
www.jadejackson.com.au. Make sure you check out the show notes to this podcast episode where I'll include links to the articles I mention and also links to my Patreon account. If you'd like bonus episodes and copies of my travel photos, then head to patreon.com forward slash Jade Jackson. If you just want to say hi, then tweet me at Jadigans Jackson. Likewise, follow me on Instagram at Jadigans Jackson. If you want to follow back, make sure you say hello because I don't always check notifications. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to my second podcast, Jade Talk Stuff. And of course, if you enjoy the show, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. Just scroll down and tap write a review. Thank you so much for listening to Travelosophy with Jade Jackson. Bye bye now.